Makers of Sport Podcast, Episode 101 with Simon Dent. to the Makers of Sport podcast. This is episode 101, and I'm your host, Adam Martin, at T. Adam Martin on Twitter. My guest today began his career as an attorney in the sports management space and later worked his way into the advertising agency scene before starting his own shop, a sports creative agency in the UK called Dart Horses. He's worked with A-list sports clients in his time as an attorney, and now has taken his expertise to working with global brands such as Peloton, Under Armour, Southampton FC, City Football Group, or Manchester City to those not in the know, uh, and most recently Puma. His growing agency, Dark Horses, recently recruited an executive creative director from a renowned advertising agency, which we will discuss further in this episode, and his opinion on sports marketing has been shared on The Drum, a well-known advertising and marketing website, as well as Monocle's The Entrepreneur's Podcast, a magazine brand that discusses global affairs on business culture and design. Please welcome aboard the podcast, the founder and managing director of Dark Horses, Simon Dent. Welcome aboard, man. Thank you very much. That's a very generous introduction. So, um... I'd be remiss if I didn't ask about the name Dark Horses, considering I live in one of the premier regions on the planet for breeding and race horses. So do you care to elaborate on on the name there? Yeah, sure. I mean, the first thing I suppose I should say is, um, is, is, is the terminology Dark Horses uh, a familiar one in, in, in America? Yes, um, yeah. Yes, it yeah. is. Okay, because that's, that's obviously good to clear that up, because obviously – in some countries across Europe that we now deal with, um, it's not. So right. they often stare at us very blankly as to why we're called dark horses. Well, and to but be listen- fair, it is very, it's, it's knowledgeable to me because of living in the region where I live, where horse racing is a big deal, but <laughs> I'm not sure about okay. middle, uh, middle yeah. parts of the country. So we'll see. <laughs> so look, um, yeah, the name is something that, as you highlighted, my background as a, as a sports law and agent, um, you know, I'd worked for law firms who were just simply people's surnames. My management business had been just my name. So, you know, I'd never been one that was, had really been precious about what to call a business. And it was actually when setting up the, um, the creative director at the time, um, Danny Brooke-Taylor basically sort of pulled me to one side and said, look, it's it's really important, the name, and, and I'm going to go away and think about it. And it was something that Danny took away for a couple of months, actually. And obviously, it was an interesting time because I was, you know, I was all fired up, you know, was running around London, the UK, Europe, sort of with new business meetings. But I didn't have a name. The business didn't have a name. So, I was, you know, I was very concerned to get this process sped up. But um, we sat down, as I said, after a couple of months, and, and he said, look, the, the name's going to be Dark Horses. And immediately, it was something that, just struck home as a really cool name. I think the, the the justification around the name was sort of twofold. Really, it was firstly that you know, as an individual, I was someone that had no experience in the creative agency landscape. So, as you said, I'd come from the world of of law and sports management. Um, 
my naivety in, of the creative agency landscape would, you know, take a lot of people by surprise. So that was one area initially. And I suppose wrapped up in that is also around sort of being a bit of an underdog. I think secondly, and more importantly, um, the idea was actually that we wanted to work for challenger brands and for underdogs in their space. And, and I suppose going alongside that, we wanted to make really attention grabbing and provocative work that would take our clients competitors by surprise so you know there's two or three reasons around this sort of this identity of, of being a dark horse and, and creating an agency uh, the pure plural dark horses and we all talk about each one each person in the in the agency being a dark horse so it's something that um as time has gone by it's done really loads for us not just being a memorable name, but it's something that we believe has acted as a bit of a sort of flag in the ground for certain brands. I mean, it was only a month ago that um, we were invited to pitch for Puma's football business. And it was funny that the feedback that we got received from the intermediary was that um, the, 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 they, they found the name really interesting because Puma as a brand have obviously lived in the shadows of Nike and Adidas for so long that they regarded themselves as a dark horse. So, yeah, the name's an interesting one, and, it, and it's certainly um, it's certainly been a really beneficial name for us. Yeah, uh, that's great. That's a good story. So you did kind of, uh, and my and I've also briefly touched in the bio on your your background. So just to give my listeners, uh, typically when I interview people on the show, they come directly from the creative business, right? So they're typically creative directors or designers um, or that type of thing. But but you definitely have a different background. So. Uh, why don't you just give my listeners a little bit of your background pre-creative agency? Yeah, so look, I um, I left university, went into a legal profession. Um, it was something that um, obviously we were. I was strongly advised to do. Um, I didn't really enjoy being a lawyer. I sort of stuck at it. Um, wasn't really. I, I loved studying law. Um, through a sort of sequence of events, was incredibly fortunate that um, a, a few of my close friends were professional sportsmen in the UK. And as I was falling out of love of the legal profession, um, you know, working long hours, corporate law, um, I found myself sort of in my spare time helping, you know, these friends and friends of friends with um, playing contracts, mainly soccer and rugby. And, you know, suddenly there was an, almost a light bulb moment whereby. Um, obviously, there were, there were quite a lot of um, soccer agents around, but in this country, there weren't really many other agents in the world of um, rugby union, which had only just become a professional sport sort of 10 years before. So it was something that I found myself doing more and more. And then eventually it was sort of like, well, this is, uh, this is silly. I should really actually just follow my dream, which was, was at the time to, to be an agent. And so I left the legal profession. I think the big the big advantage I had um, to a lot of agents at the time was that because I had this legal qualification, as a soccer agent in the UK, I didn't need to get a, a separate license. So I automatically had a regulatory license, which obviously saved a lot of hassle. Um, and also it, it did help because, as it's, I'm sure it's the same in the States, um, there's a lot of um, sharks in that business. And have, having the background of being a lawyer it did help me a lot with um, initial conversations with especially um, very young, talented soccer players. Um, I think it's fair to say that a lot of them, unfortunately, aren't surrounded by the nicest people. And, um, yeah, that, that was something that actually really did help me when, when setting off in that career. 
Yeah, that makes sense. So you, you're essentially yes. transitioning from one very cutthroat industry to uh, a, another yeah. cutthroat industry <laughs> in the creative business. Yeah, it's it's interesting. It's funny. I'm I'm, I'm really not a cutthroat person. <laughs> yeah, I'm, you don't come off uh, as it at all. No, it's quite a funny thing. I suppose it's one of those things where you, you know, I suppose you have dreams. You watch Jerry Maguire one too many times, and suddenly you find yourself sort of aspiring to be a sports agent and. You know, as I said, I was incredibly fortunate and, I, I, you know, after, I guess, two or three years of, you know, not making really any money in that world, suddenly found myself with a portfolio of, um, you know, what I'd call celebrity clients, whether that was existing players, um, retired players, even one that you may be familiar with, a British, ex-British soccer player who, who now lives in LA by the name of Vinnie Jones. Um, so doing quite a lot with Vinny. So it was just a really interesting time. And I think that I, what I learned a lot about was, was people, was dealing with people, um, was, and all those skills now serve me really well. It's funny, actually, one of the, one of the things I regularly talk about in the agency now is around um, the different types of personalities we have, whether from creative to designers to, to planners to account people. And it's funny, actually, I do look back at my days of managing different types of sports personalities um, because essentially that, you know, these guys are talent in their own right. And it's funny, there's a, there's often sensitivities discussed around, you know, creatives or designers. Um, that's water off a duck's back for me. Look, I've, I've dealt with premiership footballers, so, you know, I, I can handle a few right. sense of creative. <laughs> no, that definitely makes sense. And, I, and I'm actually, I'm pretty curious how that was going to be one of my questions. How does a, a guy that kind of comes from this attorney world sort of, convince these creatives to to come work for him right because typically creatives I mean and, and I am a creative this is you know I work in the sports business as a designer and we're we're a lot of times afraid of lawyers right I mean it's it's one of those things there's this weird sort of stigma associated with it yeah no and I listen that that's a, that's a fair question I suppose you know going back to the story of dark horses I think that I knew I couldn't do it myself and I think there was a there was a a real learning that took place you know the sort of four or five years previous to now around actually to achieve my goals I really I, I couldn't do it myself and I think that was something that you know when I was an agent the whole time I was in a one-man team it was my thing and I could only take that business so far and I think unfortunately that was probably driven a lot by ego and thinking that I could take on the world whereas in launching dark horses um I was very aware of what I was good at and I was also very aware that I didn't have a skill set per se to bring to the creative agency world. Um, what I would do is outwork everyone. I would bring tenacity, um, I'd bring humility and I'd bring gratitude. And I think that when you know you talk about how did I how do I attract creatives, I think I'm very happy when I sit down with every single one of my team. And I'm prepared to talk about how I know least about marketing in this agency. And I think that as a starting point with the, the team I have, that's a really nice place that we can all share that sort of vulnerability together. And actually, I'm happy with that. It's since come to me with me. I, I've, you know, and I think that, as I just said earlier, there's, there's, there's absolutely, I've got no problem with that. And what I can do is I can, I can bring a new business. Um, I can help develop people. Uh, and to be honest, those are two of the biggest skills I'm most proud of. That's great. That makes a lot of sense. I want to talk a little bit about this sort of um, 
niche, I guess, that you may have have discovered while you were working as a sports agent. You obviously had a had a, a time period where you saw this need to create a a sports marketing agency or some type of service that better um, executed creative in the world of sports, right? And so it's it almost seems like over the last ten years, there's been this. Uh, you know, historically, athletes would um, take you know be represented by a brand and speak in a in a television spot or whatever but over the last 10 to 15 years there's been this this huge shift where the athletes are brands or are media brands themselves as well as uh teams are media brands themselves so can you talk about sort of the the time period where you kind of started to identify that this was a need that was being underserved and then take us to uh kind of the moment where you decided to approach lucky generals and and really make this give this thing a go yeah, I mean, I think there was a sort of, you know, I can't put my finger on it exactly, but there was a there was a moment in time probably around 10 years ago when I was working with a lot of retired soccer players, rugby players, and, you know, and you guys have the same there, um, whereby we're doing endorsement deals both locally and on national level and even sometimes on a European level. And when managing the talent, obviously, it's it's quite transactional. You don't get invited really to be part of the creative process. Um you more often than not will, you know, do a deal, get sent a script a week before, get sent a call sheet, you turn up on location, and then they say action, and then you kind of, you have a bit of sign-off power at the end, but, and that's your deal, that's how the talent gets activated, and I think I witnessed that so many times, and, and, and more often than not, with the, from the talent's lens, I was, I wasn't impressed with how they were leveraging the brand of my personality, who I represented, and they just, I just didn't think they were, I guess, what now I, now I know is strategy, but at the time was just really underwhelmed by, to, to be honest, I'm not getting the most out of the talent. I think at the same time all this was happening was really the advent of, I guess, channel-owned social channels for the talent. So, you know, as I was watching these guys being leveraged or attempt to be leveraged, I also knew that we were building with the personalities our own media channels around them. So it, it felt like a real moment in time and, and, and I stayed close to it and, it sort of got to the stage where, um, I guess it was four years ago now, I'd had a bit of experience at an agency called BBH, who uh, very kindly I'd, I'd gone in to sort of help them launch a sports proposition. Um, it was somewhere where actually I sort of, I really started to understand the creative agency landscape. But, but at the time I still had my talent business. Um, but in the spring of 2016, um, I basically sat down and realized that, I, I, that there was a massive opportunity in the world of sport for this high-level strategic thinking and creativity. There's, there were lots of agencies that, that were doing a good job, but, I, but to be honest, I didn't think there were many that were doing a great job. And um, my proposition was simple. I spoke to three or four of the best agencies in the UK um, in London about my idea for, for launching this sports-focused creative agency. And very quickly, Lucky Generals were, you know, we were on the same page, both culturally, they understood what I was doing. They had been well um, known over the, the previous two years for creating very bold and provocative work. And I just knew they were the people to, to come on the journey with me. And I think that, you know, as we all know, the, the, the amazing thing about sport that, that we all love is that it's, it's incredibly emotional. Um, it's always on, everyone's always talking about it. and more and more as years go by it's it's incredibly shareable it's you know i guess second to music and 
well, I guess it's probably not even second to music. Uh, it's probably the most shared thing on social. So it was such a potent space, and I felt the time was right. And, you know, we've been incredibly lucky over the last, you know, three years to, you know, don't get me wrong, when Dark Horses launched, we had a – it was it was tough. The first six months, it was just me. Um, I was borrowing Lucky General's resource, um, but they were incredibly helpful. And, you know, now I sit and look over the office, and there's there's now 46 of us. And that that's – that's testament to sort of, you know, the helping hand they've been giving us over the last three years. Oh, wow. So you have 46 um, yeah. people directly associated with Dark Horses. Yes, it's, 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 I know. It's, it's crazy, right? So we are, we, it's, it's crazy, but it's also, it, it's, the, it's creating lovely problems. So we were due to be moving uh, office uh, yes, on Monday. Yeah. We've now actually no longer moving office because we can't fit in the office that in December we signed up to. <laughs> That's funny. So just for my listeners, a little background on that. So you got your 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 partners in Dark Horses are Lucky Generals, which is a uh, a prominent ad agency in the UK, and uh, you you shared essentially designers uh, and some resources with them for a while, and now you're 46 deep in your own company. Exactly. Yeah, so we are, we now, all our own staff, we are fully independent. Um, so yeah, we, we've, we've shared an office space, so we, we outgrew that, so that the time was, you know, to move on. But as I said, we've now, we've now outgrown the space, the new space, before we even moved into it. So, the, and these are lovely problems. I mean, we, you know, we've got yeah. interior designers and builders running around scratching their heads, but it's, it's kind of, I mean, yeah, listen, I'm not saying complaining about that at all. You know, these are nice problems. Yeah, yeah, there are definitely good problems and bad problems. <laughs> so why why do you think um, it, it seems like agencies, traditional, and when I say agencies, I'm, I'm sort of meaning traditional advertising agencies are 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 really kind of taking a big interest in sport, right? And and so what is it about this kind of about the sports vertical that is is making these companies want to really almost set up these niche businesses or, or take a deeper dive into that, into that vertical, as opposed to the surface level aspect that it used to be, we were discussing earlier. I mean, look, I, for me, listen, I'm, I'm sure the same, I'm a, I'm a massive sports fan and it's only been, you know, and that's, that's been the case my whole life. And, and I still feel the same way when my team scores a goal that I did when I was 10 years old. And I don't think there's any other, sort of emotions or feelings that bridge life in that sort of way. I, I'll give you a really good example, actually. I was at, um, I was at a Premier League uh, soccer match at the weekend, and it was... Uh, can I name names? Yeah, why not? Actually, no, I won't. It was a Premier League soccer match at the weekend, and I was sat in uh, the, the some good seats, and there were a couple of um, commercial prospects for one of the clubs and they were there to sort of have a look at the stadium take a feeling for the game and they were from america um they were from cleveland and it was the owner of this big big corporation and his wife and they came to the game and um to be honest it was uh it was quite a slow game the team that they were there being hosted by were losing and then you know i could i could sort of hear the conversation the sort of the sales guy was doing a fantastic job sort of trying to you know sell the benefits of the club and you know, I could say the game was quite dull. And then suddenly, in the last 10 minutes, um, the home team scored two goals. The stadium goes crazy. The next thing I turn around and, you know, the, the wife is taking selfies with strangers. He's, like, I'm standing on the chair with a scarf. And it just it struck me that how, how amazingly emotional and captivating moments like that are. 
that's what these brands, you know, want to be part of. They, they, there's no other space, you know, and I'd say music, art, culture can do that and, and create that feeling. And I think, we, I think as you know, we do a lot of work with um, the Japanese car manufacturer Nissan. Um, I know those guys do a lot down in, in Nashville, but they have a massive global sports portfolio, which includes Champions League, City Football Group, they have a Formula E team and they are sponsors of the Cricket World Cup this year. Now, when we sit down and talk to them, it's sort of their Champions League sponsorship is, is one of the top tier partnerships and that does a lot for them. But, you know, what they, by being associated with, with the pinnacle of world football, which, you know, I'd argue Champions League is, it's, it's those moments. I remember last season's Champions League final, their, their ambassador, Gareth Bale, scored the overhead kick in the final. Yeah, I was watching and, that. Yeah, I mean... So the Nissan ambassador with Nissan LEDs going on the stadium scores an overhead kick. And you sort of, that is the moment that that brand is waiting for. And, and even so, that, that, you know, that, that what they realize is the association, what it does, it, it creates that warm glow around their brand that the, 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 the football fan is feeling at the time. Now, the, the, the correlation between selling cars directly is, is debatable, but what they talk about is... is Partnerships like this definitely get them in the consideration process when purchasing, and and that's ultimately what these brands are buying. It's that that real halo effect and that that shareability and that emotion that, that sport brings. Yeah, well, and I think it's interesting because uh, this is this is some interesting timing right now for this interview because I actually just came back from a soccer tournament in Cincinnati. My son plays, and okay, uh, amazing, and uh, and it was it was cold. I'm sorry. Oh, he's uh, he's no. nine. He's young. He's one of the little guys. So he's <laughs> he's, he's little. No, listen, my son's two. So we're not we're not on level yet. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But but it's I always wonder how much you know. These brand, I think that there's a big opportunity for these brands to get into these youth sports too, right? Because you go to these tournaments and yeah. youth sports. I think that I read somewhere is right now is a 15 billion dollar industry, and now of course a lot of that is going to be money being pay, paid into the pay to play structure of club sports, especially yeah. in the U S that's a really bad yeah. problem over here, but yeah. just the emotion of it, the emotional aspect of it, we, and this is a little kind of bragging on my own kid, but we're playing in a game. We don't know if we're going to play. Um, we're yeah. playing a team from Michigan and we're in, we're in Kentucky. So we're playing a team from Michigan and um, uh, it's raining. We don't even know if the game's going to go on or if it's going to get called because some of the other games got called because of lightning um, yeah. so we go ahead and play it's freezing cold and we get down zero to two and then we right. score the we, we go into halftime down it's it's one to two and then we yeah. score the next four and win this game and just to see the whole thing come unraveled from the other yeah. fans perspective but to see the excitement <laughs> of our fans and our kids yeah. like it was crazy and so it's like you take that moment and then amplify oh. it to you know the premier league or any of these bigger bigger brands and it's like of course brands want to be a part of that of course. and i think what you know our, the role that we, we 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 are so excited about and you know god it, we come into work every day so excited about it is that we, we it's our role to find the authentic place for these brands to play and i think that a word that we talk about a lot is authenticity and you know we've got a team here of people that yeah of course we've got loads of sports fans we've got people who are non-sports fans because they you know they offer a different perspective and i think again it's that it's Finding the authentic place for, for the brand to play in that sport they've chosen is is what we do. And, you know, we talk about the strategy and the, the bridging idea that bridges the, 
the brand to the right or to the to the to the, to the sports club or association, and, and it's it's really making sense of that. And that's where I really find that the niche you you spoke about is that we are we are we're having a good run in that space. A lot of um, the the strategy, the research, the insights um, that we use are effective, and and that obviously you know we don't just want to make work that looks great. Our work has to perform, and it has to hit the KPIs. And you know, and and today we've been very blessed. I think it's funny you talk about um, you know youth. That that's obviously youth sport is is incredibly important. And I think we often talk here about um, the role of any brand going into a sport has to be to make the experience better. Now that that's really interesting because obviously. You know, I'm sure you're a fan. I'm a fan. I spend a lot of my, my time, uh, less now, but going to watch, you know, my team, which is Tottenham. And it's 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 funny. I sort of, you know, I'll be in stadiums up and down the country, you know, occasionally in Europe in Champions League. And I'll see all these brands, logos flashing everywhere. But, you know, I often ask myself, what are you doing for me? Like, what do you want to take me to take away from this experience? And that's where that's where the opportunity is, because I think, Obviously, there's so many rules and regulations, whether it's from the, the stadium to the broadcaster to, you know, to the governing body of the sport. So it's a really fine line you, you have to navigate. And there's, there's, um, there's, there's, you know, there's probably 10 case studies you could talk about in world sport of brands that have absolutely nailed it. And, you know, we haven't nailed it yet. We haven't created a campaign yet that I believe will be talked about in 10 years' time because it made the fans experience better at that stadium or for that club. And that that's what, you know, keeps everyone here hungry. But also on a on a micro level, you talk about, you know, your, your son's sport. That, you know, we want to do the same. We, we want to create a grassroots activation that every parent at, you know, the rainy Saturday morning, they walk away with a warm, fuzzy glow about the brand that sponsored it because we did something super smart that made their experience better. That's what we do. Well, that's what we want to do. Yeah, no, no, that makes a lot of sense. Is there a, so I have my own personal opinion on specializing in in a niche, um, mm. uh, just from from studies that I've done and books that I've read and sort of industry yeah. people that I follow. But I know that there's a lot yeah. of people that do not, um, mm. th- they're afraid of that, right? They yeah. almost feel like you're going to pigeonhole yourselves. Is there, yeah. so is, is that, a th- I know that you came from sport, uh, you know, from yeah. the attorney side, but has there ever been any of that where it's been like we're maybe we're spreading ourselves too thin and is that a thought in the back of your head or is it do you just kind of discover that there are more doors to go through once you open this door yeah i mean listen this is a door that it's just it's been a credit incredibly fruitful journey to date um i think that um we are specialists in what we do i think there's a certain amount of discipline that we have to now have around our business because we do get non-sports opportunities presented to us. They've seen something we've done in the sports space and sort of say, oh, you know, can we have a bit of that? But it's over here. You know, there is also the blurring of what is sport, what is entertainment. We're, we're yet to really establish our place in the world of esports. It's quite an interesting one. There's a bit of an internal debate at the moment. Obviously, it's not something we can bury our head in the sand with. Esports is happening. It's massive. We don't work in it yet. Um, we, uh, you know, our point of view is that we we should be, and we've had some you know some guest lectures come in and chat to us about it. I think what's super exciting as well from our point of view, and this goes back to the the whole ethos of dark horses, that we're finding 
and you'll be the same in the States. Lots of almost uh, reinventions of sports and short formats. So, you know, whether it's uh, a new format of rugby launching this October here in London called Rugby X that we're, we're the creative agency for, whether it's a, you know, a new format of cricket that, that's being launched in England, whether it's, you know, there is now Formula E, obviously, that we, we work with the Nissan team. There's all these new sports. So I, I think that it's a, it's a space that, will always keep delivering and there'll always be work to be done and I think the other beauty is that there are so it's such a global village now isn't it that we live in that everyone watches every sport like there's guys here who watch you know the NBA and you know when I was growing up you couldn't even see the NBA you'd right. read a match report a week later so you know everyone's watching everything every you know we have NFL games here NBA games I, I think there is there is definitely enough to go around and I think the, the lesson from that is that because of that, there are more brands getting involved. Therefore, it's a more cluttered space. So arguably, our service is needed more because on on a Saturday afternoon when every sports fan is going to watch, you know, their, their chosen sport, there's thousands of brands barking at them, whether it's, you know, in a print paper, it's online, it's in the stadium on the LEDs, it's in the match day programme. There's just all these messages and Presumably, it's only the best ones are going to take home with them, and that's what our job is: is to be the best messenger. So, I, listen, I'm, I'm, I'm happy we are we are focused in sport. I think it's um, there may come a moment in time where sport and entertainment maybe start to to fuse a bit. Obviously, music is an interesting one. It's not personally, you know, a massive passion point of my music, which takes a lot of people by surprise. I've never, you know, been massively into music, I suppose, but it's one where I still to this day think that no one's really fused sport and music properly. I think that's that's a big opportunity. But look, you know, there's enough for us to get on with at the moment. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I agree. I mean, I think that probably a brand that's come close to doing that would be maybe like a Red Bull or something. But their sport, the sports that they're integrating are obviously not like the kind of traditional team sports, right? It's more of like the individual like X Games type sports and that type of thing. Um, but but you know you mentioned esports. Um, so you obviously with a with a son that's very close in age as mine. I have I have two sons and we I just had a daughter this past summer. Um, Fortnite is huge, right? It's yeah, it's it's crazy. massive. It's so big. Everyone's talking about it. And what I found interesting were these activations that were taking place in the game, where you know obviously they download these skins that don't actually have any. Um, there's no benefit to, to, to getting these things, right? Like, you, it doesn't make you better. It's purely um, uh, a facade, right? Of like, <laughs> it's like, it's, uh, it's a social, social capital, I guess, is what you would say. But, um, but you know, around the, uh, around the World Cup, they started integrating uh, soccer kits, right? And then yeah. even around, um, around uh, the Super Bowl, they had uh, a free skin for both or each player to have uh, the, uniform of whichever team you were supporting in the Super Bowl. So it's pretty interesting to see how that whole esports world is kind of fusing together into this whole new aspect. Yeah, it's massive and I think that we are as I said we we we're not we're not actively working in it. We we haven't um the opportunity hasn't presented itself uh yet. So there's a couple of um businesses we work closely with who are looking at the space. Um you know, a couple of our clients have have teams like um, you know Manchester City Football Club have a team. Um, it it's something that we are we're monitoring closely, but undoubtedly, you know, it would be 
we'll be sat here in, in five years time and no doubt it'll be 60% of our business. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. So I want to talk a little bit about working actually with some of these clubs. You guys were um, retained in, in mid 2018 as uh, the agency for Southampton FC. Um, I'm curious, uh, you're, you're kind of at that moment, you're sort of this, there's a, there's a big, I don't know how it is in the, in the UK, but I'm assuming it's, it's similar. There is a, a big trend to hire creatives in-house at clubs, yeah. right? Yeah. And, and it's, yeah. and it's huge, right? And, and a lot, oftentimes they are very sort of, um, you know, not, uh, not attempting to be insulting at all, but they're typically very low level. It's a set of Photoshop hands that a marketing person is saying, Hey, make this throw this, you know, club or a brand logo on this ad. Here's the text, right? And you're just basically a production person. So I'm curious how you, you guys were able to balance, uh, creating creative work that is strategic, um, and, and interacting with the, the sort of upper echelon of the club to create this work while also maybe not being pigeonholed as like, you're just the, the Photoshop hands, you know what I'm saying? Well, it's a great question. And it's a, it's a question that, um, yeah, I mean, I could talk a, a lot about, I think we are, I think we're very blessed to work with the best two football clubs out soccer clubs that are out there and that's mm -hmm. Southampton and Manchester city. Mm -hmm. Um, we are um, very fortunate with Southampton Football Club, for example, where the, the current vice chairman of the club um, used to own a creative agency. So that club um, is, is, is run incredibly well, but it's also a club that knows it's a brand. It is a club that has a, a manifesto that all decisions um, are taken, they are referenced to the manifesto. Um, and that's not just from a, from a marketing point of view, that's, that's a lot of the key decisions at the club. So, you know, we were incredibly fortunate that when having conversations around um, strategy, creative, etc., there was no education piece needed up front. They got it. They knew what we are talking about. They, they, they have an incredible team who understand and get that, what we're doing. So th that, that with Southampton Football Club, we, we've been incredibly lucky, I suppose. One of the challenges we do have with them um, is obviously around budget. Now, we're all aware of the amount of money that is um, within the football, the soccer uh, ecosystem. Right. But within the clubs themselves, you know, you can pretty much guarantee that 95% of that is, is, is in the football department. Right. <laughs> the marketing department yeah. don't really get much of that. So, so there's a bit of assumption that you know we would get paid masses by Premier League football, but that's just not the case. And so, that's in itself hard because um, that that produces you know tensions around production budgets, etc. Um, and again, another client we've done work with Manchester City. You know, you're aware of the City Football Group globally, but again, they just have in, in every department within the, the, the commercial marketing best-in-class people, summer ex-agency. So the problems you highlighted, we're, we're actually very fortunate we don't come across. Now, we're obviously aware that that happens, and I think that is, I think that, that that's something that will be a really hard challenge to overcome because I think as I found with creating and building the agency here is that, you know, I am not, you know, the, the, the creative director that, that came to Dark Courses and our new head of designer that's joining soon are, top top creative you know and they are they 
they need an environment that, that that's carefully curated that has um that will bring out the best of their them and their ideas and that isn't just down to you know salary and benefits that's the last thing on their mind it's down to the ambiance the culture the team ethic um the client list and that whole jigsaw that you have to get right now unfortunately at premier league football clubs it would be incredibly difficult to attract top creative people to that environment because it's not an environment that's necessarily built or sympathetic to those needs um and that's where again the opportunity is for us because we can we can have these people in our team who we can effectively lend to the premier league football clubs at, without the, the cost of everything but for campaigns and, and your retainer relationship we can just dial up and down as and when needed and i think that that, that that's again a space we've done very well in yeah no that makes a lot of sense i mean so basically you're the, the people that are passionate, the, the high-level creatives that are passionate about sport would essentially, you guys would bring them in and they would work for you and as opposed to, you know, a lot of these teams, it's just, it's tough, man. I mean, there's, I know, I, I deal with a lot of uh, colleagues that work in, of course, over here, college athletics are huge, yeah. right? Yeah. And and they are, they are just so bottom level and so sort of spread thin. They just, they work so many hours and there's kind of this running, running, uh, joke where essentially if you if you're going to work in at least college sports it's you're working for t-shirts and tickets you yeah. know I mean, that's that's like the unfortunate aspect of sport because a lot of people the reality is a lot of people are willing to work for free right yeah. because it's, of fasc- those reasons. Yeah. it's fascinating isn't it i mean I, you know we we get obviously all the the all or nothing seasons over here now and i'm sure you've seen them with the the cowboys um the cardinals mm-hmm. rams and it obviously that is a, a different level but the, I think it was um, was in Michigan. I think it did a Michigan one as well, the Timberwolves. And it's amazing that the, the, the volume of people that are interested in those sports. But yeah, as you said, it's kind of the assumption is wrong that these guys are all getting paid really, really well in their marketing departments. But it's interesting. You know, it's an also there's a thing that I, I I used to speak quite a lot about around um, sort of treating the the fan. With the respect that they deserve, I think, and that that ties back into what I was saying earlier about making the experience better for them. I think that as sports fans, I think we are, you know, we're all an incredible sort of breed of people. Whereby, you know, I can't. I, I've got some friends who don't like sport, and it's just mad. I, th- I I genuinely don't know what they do at weekends. Like, but you sort of the the the, the world that we live in, especially as a, as, a, as a participating fan, you you go to games, you watch your team lose, but then. You go back the following week. You you still buy the merchandise, and you know if you people looking into us, it's quite irrational behaviour. Like it's basically like going to a restaurant every week and getting food poisoning, and then going back to the same restaurant. You just <laughs> right. have this. It's just the same thing, really. And it's kind of I I often think how irrational my behaviour is. The amount of money I spend supporting my team, buying the merchandise, travelling around you know Europe and the UK watching them. I mean, I'm quite lucky. We've had quite a good season, but. You know, some fans who are the bottom of the league, they keep doing that. And I think those people, um, there is an assumption, and it's a dangerous assumption, I believe, because more and more there are generations coming through. And we go back to the sort of Fortnite generation now. Like, those 10-year-olds, you know, their dad's trying to take them to the the ball game at the weekend. Suddenly that kid doesn't want to go to the ball game. He wants to play Fortnite online with his mate in the next city. And suddenly there's all these 
there's all this competition now for attention that I think the days of assuming your home attendance comes every week because it's the only thing to do in the town on the Friday or Saturday is a very dangerous place because since the advent of the internet, that's just not the case anymore. Well, and, and no, you're absolutely right. And I think that um, there is, um, it's, there's an aspect of sport that, that younger generations are going to miss out on where you have those struggle years, right? And that's a part of it, right? Having your friends sort of down you because your, your team's losing so much. But now, you know, I look at my, my own son, right? Like a, a club that sort of just appealed to him as, as a nine-year-old was Manchester City. So, you know, they've okay, you, could, <laughs> you could say a lot about their marketing, right? By getting a kid here in Kentucky to support them. But, uh, um, you know, so he's but he's not going to have those sort of uh, <laughs> those those he's lower really tier. Yeah, he started <laughs> off. He started off top level. Now we'll, we'll see about our, our the, the club that we support from the U.S. side is FC Cincinnati. So you've probably heard about them. Right. They just um, came to the MLS, have a great culture. And we're we're an hour from Cincinnati. So we we go to those games. It's great atmosphere. So, we're, you know, they just got into the MLS. So we'll see them. We'll see them struggle <laughs> for a while. I think it's interesting. Uh, yeah, but I think you guys, really interesting. I've spent a bit of time in the States recently, and, and uh, you know, I follow the MLS occasionally when, you know, some of our players, the English players have gone there. And I think what I found really interesting is that they, you have, the MLS have, um, they are treating the fan in the right way. I think the, um, we, you know, uh, People like the, I guess it's Portland, Seattle. There's some of these clubs that created these incredible movements of fans, which have created these incredible. And I think it was Atlanta last season. They averaged like forty thousand a day at home games in yeah. season one. Mm -hmm. And it's like that sort of stuff is is amazing. But those marketeers have had to work at that. I don't, you know, there's no one lazy in that marketing department of Atlanta. That has been blood, sweat, and tears because right. that would have been real grassroots, you know, field marketing for probably 18 months before the first ball was kicked. Whereas there's a danger here that it, it, it flirts with arrogance that, you know, this is England, this is football. Um, if you're, you know, if you're from Nottingham, your child will definitely support Notts County or Nottingham Forest. But that, that's just not the case anymore. And, and the football clubs need to really wise up to it. And it goes back to that point again about, you know, the people who are making the decisions at these clubs in the commercial and marketing departments. And, and actually, to be fair, at board level, is that... They need to start being smart with where they direct money for marketing because, you know, without people on the terraces and without people going to the turnstiles, yes, they may get their TV money, but it is a terrible spectator sport on television when the stadium's empty. It looks terrible and right. no one's going to watch it. Well, and I think uh, just speaking to the MLS clubs that are doing a good job with their fans, uh, I believe a lot of it is um, they, they have to present a – a cultural experience that is going to be fun for fans because just just f simply because we're talking about the U.S. a lot of I mean soccer is obviously growing here but yeah. a lot of people coming to these games aren't a hundred percent aware of everything that's happening on the field so you have to create this experience so that they will they will go and enjoy it period right because they're just not old school soccer fans from way back that maybe played or understand the nuances of the game yeah so and it's a family and yeah. Yeah. So, so I want to talk. Um, we mentioned earlier you hired a, a creative director from Droga Five, and for those that uh, listeners that aren't familiar, Droga Five uh, is an agency started by this guy named David Droga, um, 
it's 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 a it's a hot New York agency that is I believe now at least partly owned by sports and entertainment company Endeavor, which is the uh, holding company of IMG, UFC, and and many more major sports properties. But anyway, they're they're known for working Under Armour. So, um, uh, how how did that come about? Uh, you know, because you guys are you're starting up, right? So you obviously have, I didn't know if you need to do some convincing or how does that work? Getting someone from a high level creative shop like that to come and work work with with you. I mean, look, firstly, it, it, it's a uh, you know, Steve has been with us three months now, and he's he's been it's been an incredible three months, as you highlighted. We. You know, we want Puma off the back of his work quite recently. I think, you know, going back to when we we made the decision to to go out and really try and make a statement in the in the hiring of a top creative, it was it was probably around August time, and you know, it was a it was a brief out to to sort of people in the business. We spoke to a number of recruiters, and yeah, look, at first recruiters were coming back with with um, some names that just not names. That's not fair. I think coming back with some with some options that weren't quite what we we're after, and. There are, we, we sort of got down to, to three people, all very sort of good caliber. And for me, it was, it was interesting. Look, I, as I said, and as we explained to the listeners earlier, um, we, the three founders of Lucky Generals, are also shareholders in Dark Horses. Now, they bring a huge amount of gravitas and legitimacy to what I'm doing. So as much as I talked earlier about you know, myself being um, more than happy to hold my hands up about not being a, an expert marketeer, like, the three other shareholders are like you know we're talking about Helen Calcraft, Annie Nair, and Danny Book Taylor, who are industry legends. So now, as much as they are silent within Dark Horses, they added a huge they add a huge amount of credibility. So undoubtedly, that was leverage in interacting Steve. I think Steve and I first sat down in September last year, and I basically just sort of set out the vision for him. He'd obviously he'd worked at Droga for about five or six years. He was effectively running the creative in the London office uh, when we first started talking. And I basically just shared the vision with him. And I think what was, um, I think what the, 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 the two big things I think that were really refreshing for him were firstly, um, th- th- this was sport focused. You know, he's a big triathlete, big Leeds United fan, loves his rugby. And, and that is obviously, I guess, is in, in, in an agency, in your, in your, in your, in your, your traditional advertising agencies. You could find yourself in pitches for, you know, a detergent, a petrol brand. You could find yourself on a pitch list for things that probably aren't that exciting. Where if you know that everything has a lens of sport, you just know that you, you know, every day you come to work and you basically you're in sport, which is a massive thing. I think secondly, and, and we've spoken spoken about this um, in the last few weeks actually, is that is around the culture we've created. I think that. He's actually said that it's a. He's never worked anywhere like this before, and he says that you know one of the big things we have to do is preserve this this culture whilst we're going through hyper growth. Um, it's not something that um, you know I've been particularly strategic or you know clever about. I think my my, my view on it has been very much always looking after the individual team members. We, we you know at least once a week we will do um, an away um, have, have a guest lecture in a seminar. On things such as mindfulness, well-being, mental health, public speaking, uh, we've got a, a famous um, retired English rugby league player coming in to do a talk to on leadership. So we do lots of these things around personal development, and and what we find is we, because of that, we've got um, on average a very young group of people within the agencies operating in a space that I would describe as outside their comfort zone. 
and what that basically means is that yes we have people making mistakes but we have people who are working and acting beyond their years so it's an incredibly engaged excited workforce and it and, and Steve talks about you know he could feel that for three months we were sort of courting each other until um, he basically just sort of said in uh, November just November sometime he's like he could feel the energy in the agency he'd come out on a few social events with the team he's like this you know what you have here is very special and I, I want to be part of it so you know that that's kind of how we, we brought Steve in obviously it's an incredibly exciting time for him at the moment because now he's he's building a creative department so again it's a Everyone in this business, including myself, we, we, we all talk about, you know, on a daily basis, stepping out of our comfort zone. Now, for Steve, obviously, he's been a creative director at a top agency. One of the things maybe he didn't actually get to do much there was, a, was in the leadership area. So, you know, he's on my shoulder every day and he's not only doing ideas for clients and pitches, he's actually helping grow the creatives. And in some of them, you know, we've got a placement team here who are early 20s and you know, it's not just, uh, he's not here to work, he's here in, in a sort of paternal role as well. And and to be honest, you know, from my point of view at the moment, one of the biggest things, if not the biggest thing I get from this is is watching everyone in the agency grow. And it's that is bringing me more pleasure than any profit margin or turnover figure. Because, you know, in the last three years, I've watched some people just just totally evolve and change. And, and that, that makes me incredibly happy. Yeah, that's that's a beautiful thing. And just to highlight some of the culture for the listeners, you guys, um, you recently were awarded 13th best places to work from campaign, um, and then also uh, you won. Um, the, I'm I'm not super familiar with this, just being from the US, the BT Sports Awards. Um, yeah, so yeah, we've been shortlisted for Young Agency of the Year, which again is a is a, is a really humbling thing. And I think that, again, that's just testament to the team here that I think that the amount of work that everyone does, but it's 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 something that, you know, I'm, I'm sure you're the same. I, I, I spend a lot of my time reading and, and there's, some, there's some really inspiring people out there who, you know, I'm sure you, you, you've read a lot of their books, people like Howard Schultz, Ray Dalio, Gary Vaynerchuk. There's a lot of people whose books I read. And, 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 and and I'm on a sort of, you know, a personal development crusade myself. And I think that, you know, I encourage everyone to do the same. And and what it does is it, 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 it some days you come into the office and it is fizzing with positive energy. And I've per personally never witnessed that anywhere else before. That's great, man. So one thing I wanted to touch on before we wrap up here, I was listening to uh, your interview on, I believe the show was called Startup Van. It was a Facebook Live thing, and you were you were mentioning uh, there's something this this whole flat structure thing is something that's very popular in the tech startup world. So I'm curious to know how that sort of manifests itself in the agency world. Are you guys still doing that? Yeah, it's, it's funny, isn't it? I mean, goodness. Um, so look, my my thing, and again, this comes from my uh, I suppose naivety of the, the creative agency landscape was that. Um, you know, I've never really been too bothered about job titles, obviously, because I've kind of worked myself. I didn't really need a right. title ever, and I never really had anyone else working for me, so th there wasn't really a structure. So, I when I um, when we started the agency, obviously, the first two, three, four employees, they were they had a skill set, but we were I was quite loath to give them titles. What then happened was obviously, as I needed support from recruitment companies um, to bring staff in, they they just work on job titles. They're like, 
what, what, what role are you looking for? What salary? And it's kind of, oh, well, I don't really want to call them that. And they were like, well, we have to call them that to get the, the you know, the, the CVs in, blah, blah, blah. So it's, it's something that are, now we are 46 people. It is, um, it is a challenge I've got because, you know, I say we have a flat structure still in that there are no airs and graces. We have, you know, an internal, there's no such thing as saying it's not my job here. You know, that is not our language. So everyone here is, you know, helping each other out. It's highly engaged in that respect. I think if I'm honest, the hyper growth we've had in the last 12 months going from eight to 46 people has meant that we have had to introduce some sort of um, structure. Um, I would never call it a hierarchy. Um, the fact we all refer to each other as dark horses is is, is really important, as we are all, all equals. Um, but yeah, look, that's something that 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 is one of my my main jobs at the moment is, I suppose, preserving the behaviours that got us to where we are today, and not stopping them. And I think that I think for any startup or any entrepreneur, it's it's those small things that you do repeatedly on a daily basis that actually over a period of time have staggering results. And that is, is something we're starting to find now is that just, just, just trying to preserve the, the flat structure. It's, 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 something, it's, it's a really good challenge for me personally. Well, that's, I, th I think that's some great advice. I'm really interested in hearing how that all shakes out. Um, I think we, we probably let's uh, we can wrap on that one. Uh, I'd like to kind of give you an opportunity to just give listeners um, your social handles where they can find you online, be that your if you want them to follow your personal accounts or obviously dark horses and that type of thing. Yeah, so look great. I mean, um, I'm I mean, everyone in the office laughs at me for this. Um, my main social uh, platform is Twitter, which is at Simon J. Dent. Um, and then the agency, um, which is probably a lot more interesting to follow than my personal account because it's just pictures of my son usually, um, is at Dark Horses LDN. Um, and then off that, you'll, you'll find the Instagram handle as well. But, but no, look, listen, any of your listeners are out there, please get in touch. I think, um, as I think you guys know, we're, we're, we're on the verge of opening a, a, an operation in New York as well. Um, that might be a conversation for another day. But, but look, I think anyone out there like-minded individuals please please get in touch and yeah it'd be, it'd be good to build some relationships over in the states very good well i appreciate you taking the time to come aboard and uh and we'll stay in touch amazing all right thanks a lot for your time cheers thanks again simon my next guest is going to be barton damer barton is the founder and creative director of a design and motion studio in Dallas, Texas, that has worked with brands such as Nike, Under Armour, Adidas, Vans, the NBA, Marvel, and many, many more interesting brands. You can check out some of their work at alreadybeenchewed.tv. Big thanks again to Simon Dent for taking time to come aboard the podcast. Again, as he mentioned, you can follow his personal account on Twitter at Simon J. Dent. And the agency is, of course, Dark Horses LDN for London uh, on Twitter and Instagram, and then darkhorses.com on the web. Past Makers of Sport episodes can be found in Apple Podcasts by going to makersofsport.com slash iTunes or on the website. Uh, 
I will note that the website is in, is sorely in need of a redesign as I threw that thing together as a minimum viable product back in 2014. I do plan on redesigning that this year and possibly bringing some additional content outside of the podcast uh, more soon on that. However, in the meantime, if you are interested in supporting the podcast, which is sponsor-free, you can do so by joining the paid member community at makersofsupport.com slash community. In exchange for your fiscal support, you'll have access to additional and ever-changing content such as private Q&As with future former and special guests, monthly video hangouts, as well as interact with, share private feedback, and build relationships with like-minded professionals in the live chat. So a lot of you know that I went on a hiatus recently. Um, I I had a a back injury that kind of kept me from focusing and, and getting work done as well as a newborn, but I am back. Uh, there are a lot of episodes planned for 2019 and, and I can say that the community actually, it, it went on even though that there were no podcasts being posted. We still interacted in there every single day. So if you do get value from the content coming from this podcast or it's other information sharing outlets such as so, uh, the social media accounts, then I ask that you please consider supporting the show fiscally by voting with your hard-earned dollars and joining the community. Additionally, taking one to two minutes and heading over to makersofsport.com slash iTunes and clicking the five-star and writing about your positive experience with the show helps others like yourself discover this niche podcast and the value it brings to people wanting to get an education on the creative side of working in the sports business. I also will accept likes or ratings on Stitcher, SoundCloud, or whichever podcast or whichever podcast application you enjoy listening to. I'm at T. Adam Martin on social media. The show is at Makers of Sport. Until next time, have a good week.